Y'all, it's your girl, Smanji, and welcome to another episode of Avocado and Honey. If you haven't already, please check out the previous episode. It's called Dear Mama. I spoke with four different mothers and got their experience with breastfeeding, giving birth, and just motherhood in general. In today's episode, we're going to be doing something similar, but we're going to be talking to the fathers. We're going to get their experience with fatherhood and things like that. So let's get started. Hey, Richard, how are you? How you doing, Smanji? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you once again uh, for being on the podcast and talking about fatherhood and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. All right. So if you can um, let the people know how old you are, um, how many children you have, and their age as well. Okay. So I'm 37 years old. I have a five-year-old who will be six next week, and my wife is seven months pregnant. I guess technically eight, because it's like 40 weeks and she's 32. Oh, so, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know what you're having already? I'm having another boy. Oh, okay. You excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> the first time I cried tears of joy. Hey. It's like, ever. So, yeah, I'm happy to have, you know, another boy. That's dope. I girls, you know, I just, I know how to deal with boys, I guess. Yeah. I mean, understandable. <laughs> That's dope. Congrats again. Thank you. All right, so the first question I have for you, Richard, is what did your father or your parents teach you about uh, parenting? To be quite honest with you, in terms of my father in particular, I, I he always framed parenting in a negative aspect. And I found that a lot with Jamaican men. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they frame having a child not like, you know, you have some where like, oh, we're going to bring forth life and it's a new baby and that's great. But... The other, the vast majority just treat it like it's a mouth to feed. Mm. And it's more of a domination than a, it's a responsibility they get to dominate over and lord over more than it's a, a passing on of, you know, knowledge. And, and you really, basically, what, what, what we would categorize nowadays as toxic masculinity. Mm. That's, that's basically what I learned from my father. So a lot of like being a father, I kind of had to learn doing my own research and, and, and kind of analyzing, you know, the people who came before me and myself for my own flaws and things like that. Unfortunately, that's, that's really, if I had to sum it up, that'd be my experience. Mm. And what was the, um, the process like, like unlearning all of the things that your father taught you? Well, the first thing I did, honestly, is I had an elective in my senior year of college mm-hmm. and I decided to take child psychology and as I was going through the semester, I realized that everything that my professor was saying that you should not do, my father did. Oh, you know, like mm-hmm. literally, like he's like, oh, don't, don't compare your children to other children. You know, don't withdraw love when your children get angry. Don't, you know, just a bunch of don'ts. And it was just like, damn, how can someone get it so wrong? Right. But when you're growing up, that's all you know, so you think it's normal. Right. You know, so, and that affected how I treated my friends, my girlfriend at the time who became my wife, um, just all my human interactions, because he's who I was patterning male behavior after, just to realize that he had it all wrong. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that um, he left home when he was 14, and he came up here and tried to join the military at 14, and they told him to come back at 18, and -hmm. his father died when he was 8. So his only real male role model were the Marines. Right. But it's a lot different making a man into a Marine than making a son into a man. Right. You know what I mean? Like, those are two different skill sets. Mm-hmm. The Marines are training you for war. Like, and whereas being a man, you're trying to teach your sons or your daughter and your daughters how to go through society and deal with, you know, less drastic situations sometimes. You know, just that's it. Like, you wouldn't talk to a person in Starbucks the way you would talk to a soldier on a battlefield. Like, that's just not how right. you go about things. But that was, a, that was a process. And, you know, a lot of self-help books and a lot of... That first class made me really dig deep into psychology a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of became, like, my own little self-taught psychologist. I like I used to like to think of myself that way. But I, I'm very conscious of what I'm feeling and... I just try not to project on my son. Right. And things like that. Yeah. That's dope. Shout out to you for breaking that cycle. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 um, 
it's easy once you once you have the knowledge and you start to pick up on it. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. But that that first class by chance it just happened to be open and I took it, and it was it was a it was a godsend. So exactly. I'm definitely happy about that. All right. So how did you feel, and what was like your experience like when you found out that your wife was pregnant? It was it was it was happy and it was really weird honestly because we were trying to have a baby like she had a few health issues mm-hmm. um, that you know a lot of times we don't really talk about in the black community but it turned out to be a lot more a lot less severe than we expected basically she had black fallopian tubes oh. so we were going through IVF and IUI and all this stuff and she just happened to go to the doctor one day and. It was really funny because we got into it in literally the worst fight of our relationship, right? Like, she bit me on my face. I'm walking around looking like a weirdo. <laughs> like, it was really a bad fight. She packed all her stuff, moved into a motel. <laughs> and, like, so she goes to the doctor because I bit her back to get a tetanus shot. Mm. And the doctor's like, you know, we should really check to make sure that you're not pregnant before we give you a tetanus shot. He comes back in the room and he's just like, uh, so you're pregnant. So that's, that's how it's going on here. That's why you're so moody. And so now I go and see her because I didn't know, you know, but you know, like my wife, we just moved out the crib, you know what I mean? So I go to the motel and I'm like, yo, let's work this out. Mm-hmm. And we sit there and we have dinner or whatever. And we sit on the bed and she hands me the paperwork like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh shit, like, <laughs> now it all makes sense. So, <laughs> so that's really what it was. But when you, like, my wife, um, I've been very lucky. Like, she and I were together for almost, no, it was one of, let's say 12 years. Oh, that's beautiful. She got pregnant. Yeah. So it was in, it was somebody that I wanted to have a baby with and someone I wanted to spend my life with because we were already married at the time. So it was it was beautiful. But the time I the moment I found out, that was like a rocky week. <laughs> <laughs> and, and um yeah, that's really it. Like there's no other way to, 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 to really put it. But I was happy and she was happy and, and it was it was beautiful from there on out. That's so dope. So what was it like when you um when she brought your son into this world? Like were you in the room? Did you cut the cord? What was all that? <sighs> I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest. Like, um, my wife is a NICU nurse, so she works with premature babies. Mm-hmm. And she told me a story about like this big bodybuilder. Like, dude is like six four, you know, like two fifty pure muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees all the burst fluids in the blood. And she said, like, you know, the doctors and nurses are like trying to tend to his wife, and all of a sudden they hear a huge thud in the background. Right, like, dude just hit the deck. Like, he just passed out, <laughs> hit the deck. So they stepped over him and kept sending to the wife, just like, no one has stopped that, right? Right. So I was like, yo, in my mind, she told me that story, and it kind of planted, like, that little seed of, can I do this? Right? <laughs> so I told her, I was like, you know, man, I really don't want to be in a room. I, I kept it a buck with it. I was like, yo, I don't, I don't really want to be in a room. Mm. You know, I don't I don't want to see what goes on down there. You know, I really, I really don't, right? So... This is also like a lot of crazy story. So now we have people visiting us, right? So her water breaks and she told the doctor, I don't want to see such shit. I want to push her water breaks. And like, they're sticking tubes in her. And this is just like a bloody Niagara Falls. Right. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, this is crazy. So mm-hmm. now all like my male friends are coming over mm-hmm. and they're in, and they're in the delivery room. So she's like, yo, take your friends outside. I don't <laughs> need your friends eating my whole cool train. Right. So I'm like, oh, no, that's, that's another word. Right. right. Like, so I'm in the hallway. Like I was waiting for that hall pass so bad. I'm in the hallway and now I see the nurses panicking back and forth. And the doctor's like, long story short, the doctor went on a trip, a family trip to Vegas. Mm. So we're waiting for him to fly into Philadelphia and drive back to New York. Wow. Because it was like, yeah, it's like he had like a rich uncle who would, like the casinos would send a private jet for him. Mm-hmm. So like all all the family members would be up in Philly. So we're sitting there for like a good four hours and she's like going through it, mm-hmm. like really like soldiering through it, right? And They couldn't find another next, doctor? Huh? They couldn't find another doctor or it had to be him? I think 
his little things were just like it kind of has to be him. Mm. Not, or not really that. They, because she had said she wanted to push, they just wanted to give her more time. Oh, okay. But long story short, my son is like really trying to get out, but now the umbilical cord is wrapping around his neck. So they were like, listen, we were there, that was around, we got there about, let's say, 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And they tried to let her push until about 1 o'clock in the morning. And at 1 o'clock, they were just like, yeah, we're doing this emergency C-section. I remember just standing in the hallway as they're prepping up for surgery. And I'm singing Meek Mill to myself. He had a song called Don't Panic. Mm-hmm. From like, what it, like, don't panic, don't panic. Like, and I'm like, I'm talking to God. Because I'm like, yo, you know, I don't know if you like how religious you are. I'm not really religious, but I do believe in some stuff. And mm-hmm. the Bible says, like, um, God will give you more than you can handle. Right. I need, like, a normal, healthy baby right now. Like, for real, for real. Mm-hmm. And I never got that thought in my mind. So they um, they brought her in, and when they had the whole home prepped, they had me, like, they block off her lower half. Mm-hmm. So, like, from the chest down, it's blocked off. And I could only see what they were doing through a reflection in an instrument camera. Mm. There wasn't a mirror. It was just, like, a see-through glass, but I could see the reflection. Right. And I saw, like, when they pulled him out, and I saw, like, you know, like, the little uh, birth fluid dropping off of him as they pulled him in the umbilical cord in the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And um, she just started crying. She, they had her hopped up off like all these, you know, first she did the epidural. Mm-hmm. Then she did the, um, then of course they're going to give you the localized anesthesia for the C-section. Oh, okay. And she started crying, like really crying. And I'm like, are you sad or happy? Like, do you want to put him up for adoption before I get attached to him? Because mm-hmm. why are you crying right now? I'm like, do you still want to keep him? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I want to keep him. I'm like, I'm like good, because I kind of like him already. <laughs> and, and that was it. And um, I don't forget, like, they put him on his back. Mm-hmm. He would scream with his head off, like, I don't like that. And then they put him on his stomach, and he just kind of closed his eyes and went back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, like, 30 seconds out of the stomach, and you're already making decisions and demands. And I just thought it was cute. <laughs> and I, I've never forgotten that. Even now, he's like a little... He's very opinionated, and he kind of lets you know what he wants. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, he's literally been like that way since the moment he was born. And was trying to find it. <laughs> That's so dope. <laughs> like, you know, so. Random question. Yeah. So I'm pretty spiritual. Uh-huh. Do you believe... Uh-huh. I said I'm pretty spiritual, because you asked uh-huh. if I was religious. Do you believe that your children choose you to be, like, as their parents? I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. I do. I hope so. But I... You know what? You know what I mean is that I really believe in all... You know, like nurture more than I do in nature. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like my whole like political thing. You know, because you know, back in the day, said you know, like back in the day, he said like we were inclined to be ignorant and aggressive and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm one of those people who always want to say nurture. So it's like my child is kind of a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. I think there's some DNA in it, but like he's a reflection of how we treat him and the conversations we have with him. So I, yeah, I, I don't know if they necessarily choose me. I don't know, but that's not something I've thought about. So you kind of caught me off guard right there. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, God definitely chose him for me. Right. I don't know if he chose me, but some somebody chose him for me. Right. Like you know, because he's um he's a bit much, and and now he's at the stage where he's pulling the stuff I used to pull. Mm-hmm. Or tries to pull on my mother. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's really doing it. And I'm just like, I'm laughing, like, ah, right, this is payback. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's, doing, he's doing all that stuff. So it's, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Okay, so um, when you found out that your wife was gonna or is pregnant, did you have any predictions or in, or expectations when it came to fatherhood? And what was the reality once your son was here? No, I don't. I don't think I really had any predictions that didn't come true. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. No, I think I, I think I studied so much during like the, the process. Like I said, like the whole psychological thing. Mm-hmm. Which thus far hasn't caught me off guard. I think that you know, the, don't get me wrong. There's sometimes when my like, of course, everyone thinks that child is brilliant, right? Right. There's times when my son like really surprises me with things he says and the fact that he puts things together. Mm-hmm. That I didn't think he was making the association. Right. Um, he has surprised me, but fatherhood hasn't surprised me. Mm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just sometimes you feel like he doesn't notice something, but he does. Right. He's not saying it. And then sometimes, you know, you'll be driving down the street and you'll see, you'll see him sitting there quiet looking out the window. Mm-hmm. And um, he'll say something and you're like, oh, wow, like, I didn't really think that you noticed it so young. Right. So, what I try to do 
Like I think the thing that surprised me is that things that I thought I'd be talking to him about when he was 10, I'm talking to him about when he's five. Because I realized that there's no point of sheltering because he's already he's already starting to put two and two together. Right. So it's might as well, you know. Like, I've always had that complaint about people who had daughters versus mm-hmm. people who had sons. I don't mean to, like, get off on a tangent, but it's like, as a as sons, we're, like, raised to be predators, like, sexually, right? And a lot of times, daughters are raised... Not even to be prey, but be completely oblivious to the predators that are out there. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I always knew that I would have to school up to certain things and let him understand certain things. But I didn't realize how quickly he would pick up on it. Right. And maybe some of that is like YouTube kids and, you know, all the tablets and everything else that they have available to them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't realize like he would pick up so much stuff so young. Right. So that's, that's, that's been like my biggest surprise. That's dope. It's like each generation is just evolving more and more. Like each, like the children is just being born with all this knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that, that's dope. Hopefully, hopefully they use it mm-hmm. because because I mean, there's clearly a lot of ignorance out there. But mm-hmm. as 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 there is ignorant people, there are really brilliant people just walking around, and people who are curious, and people who go and satisfy their curiosity by actually doing the research and looking things up. So, right. Right. I'm hopeful as well. <laughs> okay, so did you have any scary moments as a father? Like something that was like out of your control? Out of my control. Uh, I don't know if I call it out of my control, but the scariest moment I had, I ain't gonna lie to you, he was like three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I, I'm assuming that he's smart. And for whatever reason, I think I'm smart. But <laughs> I go and take a shower and he's watching TV. So I'm like, all right, we good. So I come outside the shower and he has... Um, adapter plug, like the energy adapter in his mouth, oh. like swinging it like a jump rope. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I run into by taking out his mouth, and I'm like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> so then I pull on the adapter, pull on the adapter, and I realize it was plugged in. And I was like, oh shit, like I almost lost my kid, like just that quick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was like my scariest moment. Like I was like, that was like one time where I just like, I really held him, and I was like, yeah, like yo. Thank you, God. Look it out. Like, right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, Shout like, out. That's something I could have handled. Like, I just couldn't have handled that one. Word. Like, like, I just, yeah, that would have been a little too much. So, I could say that was it. Definitely he scary. Had, he had one time when he went to the post office with his moms, mm. and he fell, and, like, he still has stitches on his forehead. That was scary, but it would have killed him. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that, that would have killed him. But that side with the extent with the uh, adapter in his mouth, like mm. that really, if you like put the thing under his tongue or, you know, licked it or something. Like, one of the moves. That, that's the one time I was like, wow, that was, that was my close call. Right. And I'm happy that it was just a close call and not a direct hit. Me too. Yeah. That's super scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Okay, so the next question I have is um, what does being a man uh, mean or look like to you? I gotta be a little generic. I mean, it's kind of like protective provider, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's a man. Um, I think like you have to kind of add um, to some degree. You have to add um, teacher to that. Mm-hmm. Not saying that women can't be teachers. It's just a fifty-fifty role. So right. it's just something that if you actually what is a, what is a good woman, I probably say the same thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm big on not being ignorant and passing that down to your children. Like um, I'm just really big on that. So mm-hmm. um, those are the three things protective provider teacher you have to you have to do all three i think growing up my father confused provider with being a great father and there's there's a lot more nuance than that mm. so i think that for me now it's a bad i'm doing it differently and, and actually being there for your kids to guide them and, and like being a life coach almost right like that's that's a nice like term like oh my kid's life coach Right. Like, that's it. Like, I like that. Like that's kind of what I, I aim to be in addition to provider, but just like life coach. Like I want to be there to help them do it at different stages. Right. You know, because you'll be a uh, experience. Also why I don't want too many kids because I want to be able to spend the time making great kids, and I just have a lot of kids that I don't have time to really understand and know how they tick. Mm. What's too many to you? Like four or five? It's it depends. You know, it depends. Like if you. It depends on it depends on what you want to do with yourself, and mm. to a great degree, it depends on economics. Word. Right? Like if you got to work two jobs, then you might want to keep it at two or three. You know what I mean? Like 
because that means that you're not home at night to see what time they're coming home from school. Right. You know, what colors they're wearing, how they're talking with their friends, what their friends are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're the kind of person with the resources, then, you know, go have five or six. Knock yourself out. Like, if your wife can afford not to work, then, yeah, go have a lot of kids. I, right. I, I have a big problem because to me, it's like a lot of smart people don't have enough kids. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many kids you got right now? <laughs> None. That's not, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> right? And there's some other person, based on what my wife is telling me, who's like 21, they never they never actually took the time out to really understand themselves, but they got, they're on their third or fourth kid. You know what I mean? So mm. it's like, we need the Samanjis of the world to go have five, six kids to balance that out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no pressure. <laughs> no, no, no pressure. You don't have a long time. You don't black don't crack. You can end that journey at 45. Don't worry about that. I'm just saying, like, you know, just go, go have some kids and balance it off. Like, I mean, in here, due just, time. In due time. Yeah, no, no pressure. I know I'm trying to imagine Jamaican right now. Right. Every Jamaican thinks that you should have three kids by 25. Like, I know. But there's a purely intellectual reason for that. I'm not trying to, you know, just tell you just go have a whole bunch of kids for no reason. Yeah, no, I get you. But, like, <laughs> that's, that's really it. Okay, so the next question I have is, being a black father, do you feel that you need to prepare your child for the world when it comes to race? Absolutely, absolutely. That has been the most difficult part of parenthood for my wife and I. Like, even right now, we're looking to buy a house. You know, we're having a second show looking to buy a house. Mm. And that has been the most depressing part of the whole process. It's like, um, you want them to be around black kids, but a lot of the school districts where the majority of people look like him, are either crappy, right. academically dangerous, or both. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, uh, we were looking all over the country. Like, if I could find like a really great black school district in Alaska, I'll mm. go right there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, wherever it is, I'll go there. Mm. But I just can't find it, and it's it's bothersome because then it's like you can go to an affordable white neighborhood, but then he has to deal with the fact that he's one of ten black kids in a school of two thousand. Right. And some kid feels like he's not has the liberty to say some, you know, racist shit to my son. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be mad if he fought the kid, but it's like, you can't fight the whole school. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so, you know, just listen to kids who are currently in high school who are going to, you know, predominantly white school districts. Mm-hmm. And they're basically telling me like, yo, nothing has changed. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a worry I have. I think a big part of my daily motivation is to try to, um, I like you, like, you know, avocado and honey, I remember you, um, you also tell me about how you would find things for homeless women. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. I haven't. In general, <laughs> in general, I feel like we need to strengthen our tribe. Right. Because in the near future, we're going to need each other, whether we want to admit it or not. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, we're not in a good situation. And that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like, him being black doesn't bother me. That's like something to be proud of. But, but him, but the state of black people in America and around the world bothers me because there's nowhere, you know, I don't want to sound all political, but they turn it up right now and we really can't fight back in any kind of real way. And Mm -hmm. that bothers me. That that really is something that that bothers me. But yeah, I definitely am because I don't want him to grow up with an inferiority complex. Right. You know what I mean? Like, for example, he was, um, he had Spanish school, like a Spanish immersion workshop where basically they only talk to them in Spanish. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was like two and a half years old, and maybe three. Let's say three and a half. One of the teachers, she's really nice. She really likes him. Like she really, she really, really likes him. And she was like, you know, I have to talk to your son today because he said he wanted to be white. And I was like, what you mean? He said he wanted to be white. Right. So yeah, he told me that he wanted to be white because he's the only brown one, and um, and you know, he just wants to be like everybody else. So I got in the car and I was like, listen, you are like everybody else. The only problem is that you're in America. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's more black people than white people in the world. You just happen to live on Long Island, which is very white and segregated. And, you know, the majority of people here are white, but the majority of people around the world look just like you. And so then I was like, he's, my son is like fast. Like he's, he's like really quick. And I was like, you realize that you run faster than everyone in this school and that school and at soccer practice. Soccer practice is the funniest because they just look at him like, we all know why he's fast. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because just looking at their faces, those parents be tired. Like, 
my son is running circles around him, and he's sitting here like, yo, I did not go get a play with Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know what I mean? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got, you got, you a special superpower. You know what I'm saying? Your, your skin absorbs energy from the sun, and that's what makes us special, and that's why we're stronger than them, and we're faster than them. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, oh, man, I feel sorry for them now. I was like, <laughs> I was like you should. You should feel sorry for them, because they'll never catch you. And, you know, like, my wife looked at me like I was crazy. But I was like, yo, listen, if somebody has to have an inferiority complex about how God made them, it's mm-hmm. not going to be my kid. Right. So if he goes back and tells Billy and Jessica what I said, that's on them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to have my kid feeling inferior. Right. Anything, everything but inferior. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> nah, bro. Like, no. Like, that's not happening. No way, no how. That's it. So that that was, that's basically my message to him. And I tell him that every goddamn time I get a chance. Like, you know, you're special. You're black. You know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. it. And the story. Like, there's a reason why you are who you are. There's a reason why you're smart. There's a reason why you're athletic. Mm-hmm. It's just you're black. Period. 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 Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, do you be yourself. <laughs> be yourself. Um, but yeah, so that's that's how I go about it on a personal level. Mm-hmm. But I still do worry about it in terms of like a collective. Right. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah, but you know, hopefully I can change a couple things before they get too old. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just gonna take a process. But, you know, for me it's like having kids made me look at it like I grew up watching my parents wait for other people to come into the black community to change things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we can't keep doing that. Right. Gotta be that change, yo. Yeah, yeah, you gotta be that change. Cause they're not I was there I, I was there when everybody was happy that the stadium was coming to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's gonna be gentrified, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be different, people gonna be making money out here and that didn't happen. Not even the D boys made money. They came with their own apartments, their own D boys, they came with their own everything. Like mm-hmm. they just you know what I'm saying? Like they just gotta push us off of that space. You know, it's it was it wasn't an integration more than just like someone taking a broom right. to like whole neighborhoods and just pushing them off. So it's like, you can't really expect people just to come through and be like, these are decent people. Like, what's up now? Like, that's not how society works. Right. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta do my small part to strengthen the tribal. Where we all do our, our part and yeah. that's how the shit gets done. Okay. So now that you've, you know, experienced being a father. Um, if you can go back and tell your younger self, the yourself who just found out that your wife is pregnant, um, you know, in that, that interesting time, um, what would you tell him uh, to prepare you for this experience? Honestly, I think I would tell him that you got to be prepared to give up a little bit of your autonomy. It's just a big difference when you go from being able to do everything you want to do whenever you want to do it mm. to kind of having to cater your schedule around your kid and coordinating with your significant other right and things like that like it's that's that to me has been the biggest difference mm. like um things that i used to knock out in a week or two now might take me a month because mm. instead of sitting there for 12 hours or 18 hours straight i might only do it for an hour and change right so i think that's like the biggest part and not that i have that but if i could tell my other self um i would i would I would say, like, don't be mad about that. Because when you talk to the older heads, the people in their 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. one thing they're always going to tell you is, like, you know, appreciate appreciate those first, like, 10, 15 years. Because they're going to fly by before you know it. You can sit here and bitch about having to spend time with your kid and not partying. But eventually, your kid going to want to party on his own. And you're going to be begging him to come shoot you. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's it. So... That's what I would tell my younger self, and that's what I would tell everybody else who's going to have a kid. Like, right? yo, this is time consuming. It's, it's a it's a second and third job. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, my son has so many programs that, like, at his school they know me as the Uber dad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause not like Uber, like great, like Uber, like I'm constantly driving him around mm-hmm. to you know Muay Thai and reading and Spanish school and swimming. And <laughs> Uber and dad. Third, right? And it's just like. That's that's what your life becomes to a great deal. Like mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, like you take me to a party right now. I'm like nodding off at like nine thirty in the corner. Like, don't, <laughs> don't bring me a drink. Bring me two bottles of water because I definitely have to wake up early tomorrow morning. Like you know, like that's that's what your life becomes. But it's 
it's beautiful because mm-hmm. you're watching the growth and it's and it's watching you know how happy he is to be around you. Mm-hmm. That's that's um that's what I would tell myself. Like at first I was at first I, I ain't gonna lie. At first I was a little bit like ah uh, I, I don't really want no care. Like now I don't want him because I already had him. But it was like it's like damn like this is a lot. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? But as you get older, like just watching him like learn new things, accomplish new things. Hell, even watching him make mistakes is mm-hmm. so beautiful because then he learns from him. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what I would tell my younger self. Like, yo, just just cherish every moment of it. Right. Even cherish like the first six months where you don't get no sleep. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't, you really get no sleep. Like, he's up every three hours, or your wife is rolling out of bed waking you up. You know, because. Mm-hmm. You know, father, protective provider, right? So right. she's throwing out a bang. I'm thinking it's a burglar. Meanwhile, she doesn't know my breastfeed. But now my sleep is broken. So that's it. I can't go back to that. Right. Now you up. That's just to tell me everything's okay. Um, so, yeah, like, so just, just cherish those moments because they're going to be gone in a flash. Like, my son is going to be six next week. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, cherish all the times when you just have to be a parent because six months from now, that's six, like, 10 years from now, he will have a car. Right. Like, I'm going to go check my girl. Right. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. Yo, thank you so much for being transparent and sharing all all the stories and everything, y'all. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime, Samantha. Anytime. Okay, so we have one more segment and it's called To Love a Black Woman. So that's where you, Richard, you get to say something that you either love about a specific black woman, so wife, sister, mother, cousin, auntie, friend, or you can say something that you love about black women in general. This is like one particular thing I love about black women? Sure. Um, yeah. The world is yours. The world's mine. I, I think I think I just love the the essence of black women. I, I know like that counts for everything, physically, mentally, even the attitude. I love that shit. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I just do. Like I love for me, and I know like you know some people are like, well, that's every woman. But for me, like I don't, I don't know black women is kind of like having like your own warrior with you. Like okay. you know what I'm saying? Like my wife, in particular, my wife, my mother. Like I don't have to question where I stand with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like. Anytime. Now, do I get some attitude every now and then? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes, do I really want to just like jump out the window like, at first? Yeah, uh, yes, I do. I'm not going to lie. But would I ever downgrade? Never. And I, and I missed that. No offense to anybody else, but from a black man to a black woman, it's a downgrade. Talk your shit. Talk your shit. <laughs> you know? That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Like, you know, you know, I know you're gonna put that on the internet. People are gonna be sending me all kind of bad messages, but that's how I feel. <laughs> like I don't I don't see no point of going nowhere else. Um an intelligent black woman is like, you know, if you if you're not an intelligent black woman, I don't see no reason to be anywhere else. She can be slim, thick, tall, short. I don't like I I love it. Like, you mm. know what I'm saying? So that's that's it. I don't it's hard to say one thing because it's just like, you know, like What's there not to love about a black woman? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, even, like, and I hate this, but, even, like, that, 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 that idiot football player who called black women bulldogs. I have no idea who that is. I'm... Oh, yeah. Um, that comedian, that Nigerian comedian, like, most of them, I'm going to have to send you that when we're done on this. Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> but it's like, me personally, I've never really seen a black woman, like, spaz out for no reason. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never really seen it. Somebody like, did something. You did something. Who did and it? And if you was a man, <laughs> you just admitted you did something and, and keep pushing. Right. Like, it, it's never like they just fucking, you know, had some sort of brain aneurysm and they just start screaming for no damn reason. Nah, like, she riding for you and she wants you to be a man. And that's all it comes down to. Like, you never gonna have another part of like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and not saying that black women should have to go through trials and tribulations to prove themselves. Right. But how many times have black women prove themselves through trials and tribulations? You know what I'm saying? Like, how many mm-hmm. times you don't seen Shorty coming through with her baby while dude is in court? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know, like, one girl, her man, her baby daddy was out here, like, you know, getting it on with a stripper, and she still bailed him out when he got locked up. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what more do you need? Yeah. What? Right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I know I might be in the minority. When it comes to that, but it's just like I don't, I don't get it. Like I don't, I don't get it. A black woman, you treat her right, 
and she will help you conquer the world. That's just mm-hmm. how I feel. Right. Like, I you agree. Know what I'm so that's that's what I love about black women. And and if more brothers respected that and didn't take that for granted, we would be a lot further off than we are right now. Mm-hmm. The world would be a better place. It would be. It would be. I think that right now is like the brothers. We we kind of we we understand that we're outnumbered by black women, and instead of us respecting it, we take advantage of it. You know what I'm saying? Like instead of us saying like, "Yo, a good black man hard to find," we more like, "Nigga, I'm gonna fuck all of them because a good black man hard to find. Where she gonna go?" <laughs> right. And and then when she spazzes out, or you know, she does go somewhere. It's big drama, and you know. This episode of Avocado and Honey is brought to you by ImanYvette.com. So real quick, for my plus size ladies, you ever go shopping and realize that that cute top is not in your size because they don't care to make it for your size? Well, that's where Iman Yvette comes in and saves the day. They offer clothing and accessories for women of all shapes and sizes, especially plus size women. And since this week is Cyber Week, you'll get 35% off your entire order when you spend a minimum of only $20. So y'all head over to ImanYvette.com and start saving now. Now back to your schedule programming. Hey, Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm really great. Thank you again for um, being a guest on Avocado and Honey and sharing your experience with fatherhood. Um, so just so the people know, if you can share your age, um, the number of children you have and their age as well. Um, I'm 34. I have two kids. One should be here in the next four weeks. And um, I have a son. He's two. And then, yeah, the daughter, when she gets here, will be like a minute or an hour, depending whenever she gets here. So, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations on your second child. And it's a girl? Ah, uh, Yes, it's a girl. You have like the ideal like family right now. I know. <laughs> I mean, having girls is hard in our family anyway. So this was like a blessing. So everyone in my family is like super excited about that. That's dope. Congrats. It's like the opposite for me. Like if we get a boy, it's like a celebration. Oh, man. <laughs> So the first question I have for you, Anthony, is what did your father or parents teach you about parenting? Basically, you'll learn as you go. There's no absolute uh, rule book or directions because every kid is different. Every personality is different. Every person's different. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been learning. And, um, you know, just go with the flow and don't take everything too seriously because, you know, things happen. Kids make mistakes. So that's probably like the biggest thing. Cool. Yeah, that is great advice. And I've been hearing that a lot is just to go with the flow and to not really have much expectations, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So when you first found out that your partner uh, was pregnant with your first child, the boy, your boy, what did you how did you feel? Like, what was that experience like? Oh, man, it was life changing. It was exciting. I I don't think it truly hit me until like he actually got here and everything but um in the moment of time i was like oh man i'm gonna be a dad kind mm-hmm. of thing and stuff like that and it was just it was exciting like i was i was really hype about it That's and dope. i'm still hype about it you know but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and you know um you said it, it didn't hit you until he you know until you seen him so what was that like like were you in the room when your um, partner gave birth yeah so we so she wanted to do like natural uh, childbirth, so we did the birthing pool. Had a midwife, so oh wow, she had all natural, yeah, no drugs or painkillers and everything. So that was a, it was like back in the, the early 1900s, you know, go in the <laughs> bathtub and yeah. push it, and you hold on to the hand or whatever kind of thing and stuff. So it was a crazy experience, like super surreal. Definitely, you know, shed a tear or two when the when the guy popped out and everything, and holding him and everything, and cutting. The the cord and stuff so it was exciting though that's so dope um and i was gonna ask you if you did cut the cord and anything like that so for the for your baby girl that's coming it's gonna be the same uh, process at home natural birth well, we're, we're probably doing a birthing center, but it's still natural birth. And then, um, yeah, and also this time, too, if everything goes according to plan, they'll probably let me catch the baby. So that's going to be new, too. So 
So wait, you know, tried. so like the baby just kind of just like leap out and you catch him? Pretty pretty much like, yeah, I <laughs> guess it's just after she pushes and they'll tell the midwives to usually tell you like, okay, the baby's coming, put your hands there and get ready. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like a really powerful experience. Wow. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what predictions or expectations did you have about fatherhood and what was the reality once? You said your son name was Kai, is Kai? Uh, yeah. So what was the experience once Kai was, was here? It was definitely probably it was the most surreal thing because it's like there's this person that's all of a sudden existed that didn't exist before. Right. So and then I didn't I didn't really that's the thing I didn't have any expectations at all. Like I didn't know how I was going to be as a father or how it was going to be with Kai. So I was just kind of very open minded Mm. and everything. But it it, it kills the sleep, though. Definitely the exhaustion (laughs) is real. Like it's like I, I thought, you know, being tired in college or staying up late and everything playing video games back in the day or going out salsa dancing was tiring but it's like no having a kid not getting your rest <laughs> it's like there's so many times where I would just fall asleep out of nowhere not with maybe not being like watched of course but right. it's just like yeah the exhaustion part is the real deal <laughs> noted and this is a, kind of a random question but what was it like um like hard to like change a diaper for some reason it's like this whole like notion that you know it's like a huge deal for like fathers is like you know change the diaper or something like that so what's what's that with you and your family like what's the ordeal with that changing diapers um it was actually it was it was pretty simple um i think i don't even remember i think she showed me once and i'm a person i, I like i like figuring things out in puzzles and she showed me once and i was like oh okay i got it so it was just like whoever we just switched off like we didn't say like oh you change them at this time mm-hmm. but i mean well it was kind of like during his sleep patterns because we would we figured a way to get rest where like one person would sleep for three hours while the other one stayed up with the baby so during those times we would change but it, it was pretty simple and it was wasn't as i mean diaper changing gets pretty intense you know sometimes <laughs> but it was it wasn't like i don't know it's just like as a parent you're just like no i, I want the baby to stay clean and be comfortable and not right. sleep in its poop and everything like that so you forget about it. It's just like, it's just, I don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another question I have for you, Anthony, is um, what does being a man mean to you? Oh, man. It can mean a whole bunch of different things, I guess, to me. I guess just for me, it's just making sure my family is taking care of doing everything I can and using all my energy to make sure they are, feel safe and comfortable, that they have a good uh, person to lead the family and you know make the decisions that you know i feel will benefit them and you know make them happy kind of thing too as well and stuff and you know just doing everything i can just whether it's giving the wife a break so she can rest and get a nap or taking care of the kid when he's like you know you know how boys are boys they kind of tend to be difficult with their mothers and everything and stuff so i have to i know i have to really like make sure he understands that even though he listens to me he has to definitely listen to his mother too because she's the one who you know went through all the pain and everything to get him here and everything. <laughs> right so it's just keeping trying to keep the family in a good solid happy positive unit for the artist cool respect i understand and uh yeah, I get that. So being a black father, do you feel that you need to prepare your son and your your new, your soon-to-be daughter um, for the world when it comes to race? Oh, yeah, of course, because it's just like, I mean, we're still dealing with tons of issues, whether it's with, like, fitting in with friends or even the whole thing with the uh, being stereotyped and just different stuff. Like, he's going to have to, both of them, actually, they're going to have to learn and know a lot more than different people of different, you know, races don't have to deal with as much and everything Mm. and they're gonna have to try and be a hundred times smarter and stronger just to be considered equal sometimes too and that you know you hope the world will change as they get older but I mean people are gonna still be people and as long as there's greed and jealousy it's just gonna you know things are gonna stay relatively to the same for the most part so yeah definitely plan on preparing them for the reality of life unfortunately Mm. and do you feel like like what do you think would be the appropriate age to start the the conversation honestly um since i'm so like just going with the flow i I haven't actually really thought about that yet i know i know it'll probably be early and that time will come or even if they bring up something too but honestly i haven't really thought of the appropriate age to 
talk to them about that yet. I guess, too, at the same time, as a parent, even though I do think ahead, most of the time I'm still trying to enjoy the little bits because I, I even miss the little times. I mean, I love that my son walks and runs around, but there was times when he was even smaller. He would just sit there, and, like, I do miss those times, too, mm-hmm. as well. So I've learned to just appreciate where he is in those times and not think too much, too far into the future. At the same time, I do still, but yeah. just enjoying the innocent moments he has while he has them, I guess. Right. And we don't need to rush things. He has, like, plenty of time to worry about oh, all that yeah. other stuff. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, Anthony, if you can go back to when you first found out that um, Kai was coming into the world and tell yourself something to prepare you for this journey, what would it be? I guess... Don't stress about anything um, just because things are going to happen. Like, like I, I find myself, like, over, I used to worry, like, a lot and stress all the time. But life happens and you just got to go with it. And so I would have told myself to be where I'm at now because, like, things happen. Like, I mean, my son, he fell and dislocated his arm. And that was oh. just, like, something you don't expect kind of thing and stuff like that. Accidents happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, instead of thinking of all the bad things that could happen, just focus on all the good that's currently happening and then when something happens just deal with it and it'll work itself out right and if you practice laws of attraction you know by focusing on the good is only gonna continue to attract good so that's a great method there (laughs) all right anthony so we have a segment called to love a black woman so that's where you get to say something that you love about a specific black woman so if you want to say something like about your partner, your mom, sister, cousin, auntie, friend, um, or if you want to um, say something that you love about black women in general. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I guess I'll definitely speak on my wife. Um, yeah. What I love about her is like she's consistently uh, very, very supportive, very, very loving. And she's always trying to make sure to just as much, you know, like that everybody's doing good and everybody's feeling okay like she'll even if she's like since she's currently like pregnant and everything and like dealing with the pains and the kicks and stuff even though she's dealing with that like like the past two weeks i've been like really sick and she's still been like taking care of me kind of thing and stuff Mm. so it was just like you know she's i appreciate how much she cares and her selflessness so that's what i love about her beautiful shout out to your wife (laughs) And also, too, you both are amazing photographers as well. I follow you on Instagram and you take some really great photos of, you know, your baby boy Kai and just of like everything in general, I believe. Yeah. So if you want to share with um, the people, so if they are interested in looking at your work or if they're, you know, just want to be nosy and see your adorable baby boy, um, where can they find you? Um, If they definitely want to see all the gorgeous pictures of my son (laughs) (laughs) they can go on instagram knowing tracy and then i guess if you know photography if they want to see work um anthony d frazier f-r-a-z-i-e-r.com um and yeah that's pretty much it and then i'm me on instagram seeing tony perfect thank you so much anthony i really do appreciate you um being transparent and sharing your experience with fatherhood and again congratulations i know like you know they say girls are like a little bit tougher than guys i don't think so (laughs) maybe biased (laughs) but um i'm really excited for you congratulations thank you so much and thank you for having me too no doubt no doubt hey roman how you doing i'm great yourself i'm really good thank you again for being a guest on avocado and honey and for sharing your experience on fatherhood i definitely appreciate the opportunity you know uh so thank you as well no doubt no doubt all right so if you can uh for starters just let the people know how old you are how many children you have and their age as well so i'm 28 years old I have two daughters, um, one that is nine and one that is 12. And okay, so the first question I have for you, Roman, is what did your father or your parents teach you about parenting? To be honest, uh, and this may sound a little negative, but um, you, you're, you're taught how to uh, be a parent by how your parents parent you. So that can be a really good thing or a really bad thing, you know. Hopefully, you know, you can figure out what's the best parenting style for you and your kids because as individuals, we're all different. And right. um, you have to figure out, again, what works for you and your kids. All right. So the second question I have for you, Roman, is um, so how did you feel when you first found out that you were going to be a father? What was that experience like? It's a, it's a perplexing feeling. And uh, the reason I say that is because depending on, you know, where you're at in life, that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, it could be adding to your life or subtracting from your life. So 
in that moment you have to figure out what's what and mm-hmm. then uh hopefully you can you know move accordingly but uh for me it was you know definitely perplexing <laughs> how so so not knowing for one if i was even ready for fatherhood mm-hmm. let alone uh taking care of you know but i i can be selfish and you know taking care of myself is one thing but now being selfless and having to take care of a, another being that has all dependence on you you know it's uh it's kind of daunting, you know, at first. Mm. And you think, like, man, am I even, my capabilities, are they even there? Right. <laughs> so how did you, like, you know, get yourself, how did you talk yourself out of that? Like, how did you believe in yourself? <laughs> so just understanding that uh, the, it, it, the the cliche is it takes a village to raise a kid. Right. Understanding that the, the village around you can make or break, you know, you as a parent. Mm. So just making sure that, you have the the right people around you right and the people that are gonna you know speak to you no matter the you know no matter what's going on and speak the truth to you right you know and then having different perspectives about a certain situation so you can then gauge you know gauge it accordingly and you know move about it accordingly right because um if, if everybody has the same view on things that can either be you know, good for you or bad for you. Right. And I, I know I'm saying that a lot, but it, it's facts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so what was like the birthing experience like for you, like seeing your child again for the first time? So even just getting the call, I had a weird feeling about the call. So I was at work. Her mother calls me. You know, one of the one of the mothers calls me, mm-hmm. and this is like uh, I'm not feeling too well. And it's around, you know, it's around the nine monthish mark, and I'm like, okay. When I saw her name pop up, I knew it was something. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. I, I told my boss at the job that I'm working at, I'm like, hey, I think, you know, she's going to have the baby today. So I got to, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to get up to the hospital. So I got there at like three and by 830, she had the baby. Oh, wow. So being in the delivery room, it was definitely different. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know, that perplexing feeling comes over you because it's like, wow, this is actually happening. Right. And I don't know whether to cry for joy or cry for pain, you know, because you have to, you know, figure out what is, you know, what is what for you. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a little bit of both. For me, I'm not even going to lie to you because the life that I was living, I felt like it was going pretty well. Mm-hmm. But understanding the now the, the importance of this kid has now changed my whole trajectory of life. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked at it as a plus amount of minus. Mm. Did you like cut the the uh, biblical cord? No. So just so happened, so the three people that were in the room it was me, my mom, and her older sister. And um, her older sister cut the umbilical cord. Yeah. Did you catch the baby? I hear that people catch babies. <laughs> so with so with that, I was close. You know what I'm saying? But I but the the doctor was right there. And <laughs> the crazy thing is, she pushed. So the the doctor was like, look. Uh, it was like eight o'clock. He was like, "Look, if the baby's not here by eight thirty, you know, uh, we're gonna have to have a C-section." So mm. he's like, "If we can, you know," he's like, "Cause I gotta leave." So <laughs> what? So I think she was like right around like eight. I think she like dilated eight centimeters or something like that, and she had to get to like ten. Mm-hmm. So something, you know, whatever the the numbers were. So by eight thirty, sure enough, she came right out like right at eight thirty. It was crazy. <laughs> so Perfect timing. The doctor kind of ushered her out they skipped the umbilical cord they wiped her off and he was like all right i'm out i'm gone okay so did you have any uh predictions or expectations about fatherhood and if you did what was the reality once your your child was here again so when when it comes down to the village that's around you um that can you know shape your your thought of what fatherhood is just so happens again everybody around me was saying that it's an adding, you know, it's, a, it's an addition to your life, not a subtraction. Mm-hmm. And looking at it from that standpoint, I was like, look, I'm just going to do the best job that I can do, you know, in my current situation. And, you know, God being the, the source of my life, you know, he sees fit to keep blessing me with doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if not, I have, you know, my people around me that can, you know, help me right. you know, and, and guide me. And that was the reality? Yeah. So... <laughs> I <laughs> it all it was it was it was definitely uh different because <laughs> again I think we you know we've all had pets as kids and stuff like that and it's like having a pet but like 20 times that and I hate to liken having <laughs> a kid to a pet but right it's, <laughs> it's the only thing because that's the only responsibility 
possibly have as a kid is taking care of this dog or this turtle. Right. But it's like that by like 20 because <laughs> I have to make sure, you know, this baby eats. And right. I have to make sure this baby's changed and clothed and, you know, is loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. So did you experience like any scary father moments where something happened that was like kind of out of your control? I low-key lost my kid in Walmart one time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) And the the thing was, um, she like, so it was me and her mom, we were both in the store and she was with me. So she's three, you know, I think she's three or four at the time. She saw her mom. And I didn't know that she saw her mom and she just walked off. And I don't even think her mom knew that she was going after her. Mm. So I turn around and she's gone. So I'm like, oh, right. You know, you automatically go into panic mode because it's like, oh, this, oh, crap. Where's my kid? Right. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, frantically running around and. Somehow she ended up at the, I don't want to say lost and found, but. <laughs> like the security? <laughs> where, you go to, where you go to like cash your checks and stuff like that. Okay. She ended up over there because her mom was in that vicinity and someone saw her, mm-hmm. um, you know, just walking by herself. So they, you know, grabbed her and uh, I hear, you know, her description over the loudspeaker and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so I, I, I make a mad dash over there. It just so happens as I'm running over there. Her mom is coming out of the bathroom, so she must have cut through the, you know, to the bathroom, and my daughter didn't see her, mm. and she walked right past the bathrooms. So we're both like, "Holy shit, that's my kid!" Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's something fun to tell her um, later on in life. <laughs> man, it, it was it was definitely a scary, you know, moment. Right. You know, like, like that three or four minutes, which doesn't seem like a lot of time. Right. You know, in our in our, you know everyday life oh mm-hmm. my gosh it was felt like a dang lifetime oh, probably oh it was man a day late dollar short kind of situation it right. was long <laughs> <laughs> i know you have daughters so i mean i feel like it's important for them to understand this question as well um but like what does being a man look like or mean to you so what it is what it means for me and what it's meant for me most of my life is just being a provider mm-hmm. being a protector so what, what i've come to realize with having both of my daughters is that as independent as they are um they they want comfort you know they want security security is a big thing for women that's financial security and that's making sure that they're safe as well Mm -hmm. because you can have all the money in the world and not keep your kids safe and they're still asked out i think it takes both of them to raise not only kids but women as well Mm -hmm. and raising them in the correct way because as much as I want them to be independent, I want them to be able to be a helpmate. Right. You know, when it comes to finding out who their mate is in life, mm-hmm. being a you know again, a provider and a protector, um, and not saying that they can't do both on their own, right. but understanding that that extra, that having that that uh, extra backing behind you know with your mate is is everything. So just trying to embody that for them and mm-hmm. making sure that. And don't nobody else got you. I got you. Where, all right. So, being a black father, do you feel that you need to prepare your daughters um, for the world when it comes to race? Yes, definitely. Because we're automatically looked at as different, you know. Regardless, so me being a black male, I'm already looked at as a sexual driven person, a hothead, a person that is stupid, that doesn't listen. You know, like all of these negative outlooks. You know, because of what you know, how we're portrayed in the media and stuff like that. All I can do is dribble a ball or catch a ball. Like understanding all of that, I want them to be able to break the mold and do whatever they want to do, mm-hmm. and whatever they're gonna do, be, you know, being the best at it. Understanding that the beauty standard is set different. You know, what I'm saying when it comes to the world, we're you know we're not looked at as beauty, you know, as beautiful, but we have set the mark in beauty. We've set the mark in fashion. We've set, right. you know, we're the trendsetters and everything, but we're looked at as ugly. Right. So understanding that they're black is beautiful and making sure that, you know, there's positive, you know, influences around them. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, with me having daughters, um, I've always bought black babies. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always bought black Barbie dolls. I've always brought, you know, um, making sure that they can see that, their black is beautiful 
not saying that any other race isn't beautiful or anything like that, but understanding that as a black woman, not only are you black, but you're a woman. So you have two strikes against you, usually in this male driven world. Mm. So understanding that you already, again, you already have two strikes against you, that we're not going to use those as crutches, you mm-hmm. know, because you're strong, you know, right. and your black is beautiful, baby. So okay. making sure that, that they know that and can't no one, you know, the saying when we were growing up was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's the furthest thing from the truth because words definitely do hurt. Right. And if I'm not building them up, if I'm not setting this foundation of you're beautiful, regardless of what anybody says, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if I'm not, you know, drilling that into their heads now, they're not going to, they're not going to be able to make it in society. Yeah. I mean, they can learn it later on in life, but it's great that you are doing it now. <laughs> yes. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. But um, so, Roman, now that you have this experience with two beautiful daughters now, if you can go back and tell the Roman who just found out he's going to be a father something to prepare him for this journey, what would it be? One of the things would have to be stay the course, go with your gut, that and find what works for me as a parent. You know, if I could have found that a little earlier, I think things could have been a little better. Other than that, like, I think I'm, you know, I'm doing a damn good job at, you know, being a father, you know. Right. Yeah, just to be honest, just stay the course. All right. Thank you so much, Roman, for being transparent and sharing your experience with fatherhood. You are appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely appreciate you um, for, you know, taking the time to even have me on the podcast, let alone wanting to hear my opinion about fatherhood. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, but Roman, before you go, we do have one last segment, uh-huh. and it's called um, To Love a Black Woman. So that's where you get okay. to say something that you love about either a particular black woman, so sister, cousin, auntie, uh, friend, daughter, or you could say something that you love about black women in general. Look, your black is beautiful, baby. <laughs> <laughs> baby. Like, and, I, and, I'm, and I mean that, you know, like colorism has been, you know, the biggest, you know, the, has been a, a pretty big topic in the last, you know, couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, no matter if you're light-skinned or dark-skinned, you know, I, I hate that whole even color war against, you know, one another. But no matter what it is, it, it, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about what the outside world is saying about beauty because you're beautiful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank you again, uh, Roman. Man. And also, you um, are leading by example by doing what you love to do um, with your life. So if you want to share... Um, you know, checks and balance your your work and everything that you do and where the people can find you if they're interested in um, the work as well. Yes, definitely. So um, my handle on Instagram is uh, the word spelled out checks and balance with the number one. And then my personal Instagram is the underscore legacy one. And um, my website is C, the letter C, the letter N, the letter B, clothing. Dot com so cnbclothing.com so I, I right now it's um under construction so i'm revamping for the new year so please look out for the you know new drops and stuff like that and um i appreciate the plug <laughs> no definitely but what is checks and balance um checks and balance is uh, a clothing brand that um the easiest way to put it is i check people to get their balance back and okay what that means is i'm probably going to tell you something you don't want to hear when you don't want to hear it but it's going to be the thing you needed to hear when you needed to hear it to get you past a certain situation. Mm. Um, sometimes it takes the person outside of our situation to have the most clarity about our situation because we're, we're too close to it. I at least want to make the effort to tell a person that, you know, that I know on a, on a personal level, you know, if I see something, you know, or something that is out of their characteristics that could be detrimental to their health, wealth, or well-being, mm-hmm. I at least want to say something to them you know, to bring awareness to the situation that they possibly do or don't know about. Um, and it's just from my vantage point, not saying that I'm, you know, right or wrong. It's just, again, taking that step to say, hey, this is what I see. Mm-hmm. And um, it allows them to either do something about it or not, you know, do something about it. So Okay. Um, and it's both men and women's clothes? Yes. Um, I feel like uh, inclusion is better than exclusion. So I do regular clothes, male female and I do plus size yes you do um, making sure that everybody is uh, able to wear it and feels comfortable in it mm-hmm. and uh, wants to wear it so that's one thing I, I do appreciate to, you definitely is really inclusive stuff. Hmm? 
I'm sorry, I'm saying I go up to like four or five X in, in certain things. And oh. most of most categories, um, again, just to make sure that small people can wear it or big people can wear it, you know. Right. Everybody. I, 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 I'm all about inclusion. Right. Everybody can be checked and balanced. <laughs> yes. Yes. And look, and I'm, and I'm not I'm not immune to the checks and balancing either. You know, you, you being a friend of mine, you've, you've checked and balanced me before. Um, and I, and I do I, that on a daily. Fact, I do it on a daily. Uh, you know, look, it's, it's one of those things to where if you see something that's detrimental, to my house, look, you being my friend, you better say something. Where no, not just for real. you know, idly stand by and watch me be my own demise. Right. Ah, say something to me, to where I can at least you know look at it from your vantage point and see if that's you know if me changing it is conducive or not. Mm, no doubt, Roman. Thank you again. Definitely, I appreciate you, Samantha. Once again, thank you to all the fathers who came on and was super honest and transparent about their experience with fatherhood. Thank you for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Avocado and Honey, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and just spread the word on Avocado and Honey. Um, Also, be sure to follow Avocado and Honey on all social media platforms at Avocado and Honey. If you're interested in my personal social media, it's at underscore Smangi, S-M-A-N-G-I-E-E. Once again, thank Thank you for tuning in. You are appreciated. Until next time.